fearless. Founding 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 fearless. Welcome to the Founding Fearless podcast. We are your hosts, Sydney Key and Priscilla Olivares, and we're here to support you through your journey in becoming a fearless leader and discovering your inner confidence. We are talking about all things entrepreneurial through a college woman's lens. We hope to leave you feeling empowered after each episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Founding Fearless podcast, season two. Today, we have such an inspirational speaker and true entrepreneur and community servant, with an expertise in all things business and a strive to empower and inspire those around her. She is a mom, wife, Austin native, community servant, and serial entrepreneur. She prides herself in being the steerhead and foundation to Black Leaders Collective, Social Impact, and DEI, e Tech in Software and Mobile Development, the Austin Sociolite in Events, Marketing, and Media, and Glam Beauty Bar and Hair and Aesthetics Salon. She is also the co-owner of the Austin Woman Magazine and co-chair of the Black Fund at Austin Community Foundation. Welcome to the Founding Fearless podcast, Terry. Thank you so much for coming on. We are so excited to have you. Thank you, Priscilla and Sydney, for having me. It is an honor to be here with you all, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's just get into the questions. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you go up? Where'd you go to school? And how have you gotten to where you are now? Yeah, um, well, I am an Austin native, born and raised. Um, I am you know, so proud of the city, um, you know, and all of the changes, good, bad, and ugly. It has made me who I am. Um, I was born on the old east side of Austin. I call it that um, by design. Um, when I was growing up, it was the poorer part of the city um, where most Black people were moved to due to the 1928 master plan and stayed. Um, you know, even though we were poor in resource, it still felt very rich in community. Um, so I knew who I was and who I represented at a very early age. Unfortunately, due to lack of resources, my mother saw fit for us to do to go to school on the west side of town. So as much as she possibly could, we would go to predominantly white schools um, and take up space in um, uh, more elite resourced um, areas. Every now and then we'd get caught because it wasn't our district and they would kick us out back to the east side. But for the most part, my mom was really um, you know, kind of creative on how to keep us in those schools. I'd say that's how I fared differently and compared to a lot of my neighbors and peers that I grew up with was the, the difference in our education. And so because of that, I do a lot of the community service work of which I do around equity to ensure that all children, no matter the, the, the color of their skin, gets a fair chance at life. I do believe that everyone is brilliant, but, you know, lack of resource gets to dictate who rises to the top or not. Um, and so that is where I'm from. That is who I represent. My mom and my father, you know, are immigrants. So I'm a first generation. Um, we, uh, my mom and my dad were born in Trinidad and Tobago, uh, which is a small Caribbean, uh, 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 a small Caribbean island. Uh, but that is actually really rich in um, resources like rice, sugar cane, and gas, uh, oil. So um, 
you know, but we still had to come over here for, you know, do the opportunity. And so education has always been a number one goal for me and my family. I love how you kind of, um, you really like take your values and the experience that you have created your value. And now you're really portraying and like showcasing that value through your work as well. Thank you, Priscilla. It means a lot to me. At a very early age, my mother instilled um, that no matter who you are, what you do, you're no, you're never better than anyone. And that our number one goal here in life was to serve others. And so, you know, it is in everything that I do, I have a thread of service um, that runs within me and the work that I do. So thank you for seeing that in me. <laughs> So from your experiences growing up in Austin, which I feel like is a pretty entrepreneurial city in itself, you kind of expressed that from an early age in your childhood, you kind of knew you were going to be an entrepreneur or there was some things that kind of preceded that. And so what made you have that mindset so early on? Well, like I mentioned, my mom and my dad are from Trinidad and Tobago. Most mm -hmm. of my family, to some degree, always had to put, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and create their own opportunities because yeah. coming from a very small island, there really aren't many things for you, right? Things mm -hmm. get locked up really fast. And so, you know, my mom started her own school when she was in, you know, 20, in her 20s. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad, um, he started a carpentry company mm -hmm. when he in his early 20s as well um and you know i think about like my uncles and aunts that started clubs and lounges restaurants and things like that i've always been around hustlers true hustlers and so i'm really grateful from the the lineage of which i've grown up from but, you know um when i was growing up i thought maybe i'd be a teacher um, and, you know, to some degree, you know, these platforms like this one uh, give me the opportunity to do so. You know, um, I, there are leaders that I lead. I get the opportunity to teach them in those ways. But, you know, my my um, my pathway did not call for the teaching in school specifically, at least not right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew the change was going to happen when I was in college, actually. Um, mm. Although, you know, I think about my competitive spirit, even in like elementary school, when we had to like sell the, the candy <laughs> for the, yeah. the jewelry and things like that for fundraising. I was always incredibly competitive, mm -hmm. always wanted to be the number one saleswoman. Um, so I knew to some degree I had that in me early mm -hmm. um and then you know i had lemonade stands i remember making me and my sisters go around the community and pick up bottle caps because you know those little um can tops or bottle caps they're worth like five cents if you turn them in so <laughs> yeah. always to some degree love the idea mm -hmm. of being able to go out and get it on my own i was um, a babysitter for quite some time, making my money very early. And then um, in middle school, started doing hair, um, but, um, you know, to, to get by and to help my mm -hmm. mom with bills who ended up being a single mother. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I literally was running a, a salon out of my mother's garage while I was wow. in middle school in high school that mm -hmm. helped me throughout college too alongside my part-time job at a bank um, to make ends meet which is also why I have a salon to this day mm -hmm. I don't work in it as a stylist because my mom before going into college I said yeah mom I think I want to you know try cosmetology mm -hmm. and she said though you have a gift <laughs> 
didn't come all the way across the waters for you to be standing behind a chair. You're going yeah. to college. So she kind of tore that dream down, but lifted in me something differently. And so it's really interesting that now I have a salon mm-hmm. um, of which I get to serve about 11 different beauty experts as, oh. you know, as the founder and owner. Um, but yeah, I always had that spirit, but it wasn't until college. I thought maybe mm-hmm. I'd go into being a journalist um, okay. and realize, oh no, that's not my path. That's not <laughs> my calling. I'm not interested in being in sensationalism mm-hmm. and um, negative media all day. It was really weighing on my heart, given how much of an empath I, I was, yeah. um, but really started feeling like wow, when I was working at the bank, um, and which was in Bee Cave, uh, you know, a okay. really rich part mm-hmm. of town, everyone that, so many people that came in to make deposits in large quantities were owning things, right? Nice. They were owning dentist practices mm-hmm. and law firms, and they had the privilege of their time. They would come in mm-hmm. at any time of the day mm-hmm. and I'd ask them, okay, well, what are you doing after this? And there'd be conversations of going to the golf course or shopping with your mm-hmm. friends. And I really loved the idea of being able to like really own my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really started delving deeper on that and started a few businesses that failed while I was in college, but found myself in love with the process of even failing forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened. And then as you all know, um, one of the first things to actually take off and soar was the Austin Socialite that mm-hmm. happened literally directly maybe a year after college. And that really started me on the trajectory of entrepreneurship moving mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you were younger, you saw a lot of like the qualitative traits to an entrepreneur through your family. And um would you say that like seeing, did you learn a lot of like the quantitative aspects of entrepreneurship to take that to college whenever you were, you know, going through those jobs and trying to find your way as an entrepreneur, even in college and trying those businesses? Yes and no. You know, I got to see it from a distance. So I did see, you know, the, the challenges I did see, you know, that it took a lot of time, um, you know, out of you know, to, to build something up. I, I seen the passion that it took, the desire to succeed. I seen how you had to be a bit, um, um, a bit um, flexible and, and changing your positions when things didn't work. Um, and that many times early on, you had to be everything to the business um, before you could bring on staff and, and revenue. So mm-hmm. I did see those things, um, but didn't really work in my family businesses enough to know the true um, the truth um, pieces, such as like spreadsheets and yeah. budgets and things like that. Um, you know, the meetings that it took, proposals, um, you know, how to manage teams. I didn't really get to see those things up close and personal, which is why now having a three-year-old little girl, I'm really obsessed with her sitting in on my meetings, with her maybe answering some of my phone calls, with explaining things to her and how spreadsheets and numbers work and why math and science are, and English and these things all lead up to, you know, you being able to be whomever you want in life. Mm-hmm. Now I realize that no matter what 
field you go into. There does take some level of entrepreneurship, some level of ambition and problem solving skills. Um, that, and so, and, you know, to, for anyone, everyone out there, I would always recommend taking some form of business classes, no matter if you want to be a teacher a lawyer, a dentist, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, an accountant, there, it does take some form of hustle, um, which is, which is by far entrepreneurship to the T, um, you know, to, to pursue those dancing, it doesn't matter what it is, you need to know the school, the, the rules of business, and mm -hmm. um, at least at a basic level in order to succeed. So yes, I did get to see it, but mm -hmm. not as closely as I wish I did. Did, you know, I could have. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I do believe that I would have, I could have been much further along much faster if I would have known those skills. And if my family would have taught me them a little bit earlier, for sure. And I'll always say to any and every entrepreneur, especially women, um, entrepreneurship is not, um, it's not a marathon, right? It, it is not a, a specific destination. It is a lifelong journey. And as long as you know that, you'll understand that every time that you fail, you are, fail in fact, failing forward in order to succeed the next time around. And so, you know, for me, I am learning every single day. I learn from everyone around me. I'm learning from you all on the call. I learn from my daughter. Everything for me is a learning opportunity to make what I'm doing in the world or what I'm creating in the world even better, bigger and better next time. So, you know, for me, I will be this person learning as an entrepreneur until the day that I die. And I think that is the mindset that every entrepreneur, every business person, anyone moving into the workforce should take. Kind of backtracking to just your college experience in general. Um, you are a UT alum and graduated from UT. Longhorns all day. So, <laughs> <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> so what were some like uh, resources that you took on or you did um, in college for, to build these businesses and to have a good um, foundation for what you're doing now? Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, when I was in college specifically, you know, there weren't really a whole lot of, of entrepreneurship um, resources. Mm -hmm. This has been a new phenomenon here at, at UT. And I'm so proud that, you know, uh, UT has lifted and raised the bar around the importance of entrepreneurship. But for me, you know, I took on a lot of business classes. Um, I knew that my my weaker uh, spot was around finance and and math, and so I leaned in quite a bit um, in, in that space, taking on things like algebra one, algebra two, pre calculus. Um, and even though my my grades weren't the best at it, I stayed the course in those spaces. Mm -hmm. I stayed close to my teachers, you know, to my professors, um, you know, so on and so forth, because I knew I, I needed to strengthen those skills. Um, so business for sure. You know, I'm a corporate communications major. So communications was also, you know, something that I delved into quite a bit as well. How do you respond to others? How do you get people, influence people to do what you you want them to do to sell or to buy what you want them to buy, you know, and things like that. I was really interested in the psychology of sales and the, and the behavior of which uh, business moved. And so, you know, I really feel like UT really helped to craft who I am by way of those classes. 
I'll tell anyone, you know, there are times where, you know, in college, you get to choose your electives. And a lot of the time we'll, we'll choose easier electives that we can just pass and move forward with. Mm -hmm. But your electives are really the opportunity for you to choose things that you are weaker at and learn from them so that you can come out a bigger and better person. So I, you, I took the opportunity to, um, especially around electives to really try to move the ball on things that I was weakest at. Um, and so, you know, psychology electives, math electives, those were things that I knew I needed to brush up on if I wanted to be stronger in the things that I wanted to pursue in life. Um, so don't take your electives as like some easy pass or fail course. Mm -hmm. Really dig deep um, on where you're weak and, and move those things forward. While I was in college as well, I was, at, um, like I mentioned, I worked at Bank of America part time. And so I think that was also um, a, a, an instrumental piece to you know, to pushing me forward, you know, being around numbers and money, um, you know, being having to have a, a, a thread of integrity in the work mm -hmm. that you do um, as a banker, um, being able to, you know, to, to navigate different personalities and people and their needs and, and, and being able to adjust products and services based on what they needed to grow their businesses or personal finances, I think really helped me as well. Um, so that experience during college was huge. And then honestly, partying, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> having a good time, you know, life is short. Um, and so some of the friends that I have today are lifelong friends that I've met in college. And we had the best time of our life, you know, and, you know, it really helps me to understand that balance as far as hard work and also your personal life is so very important. So many of us run ourselves down raggedy. And, you know, partying or resting, these are forms of self-care that we mm -hmm. have to implement in order to really be our best selves out in the world. And so there's so many lessons that I've learned at, at UT, and I'm really grateful for that experience. <laughs> they always say, work hard, play hard, so. <laughs> That's right, girlfriend. I am a big proponent of that, for sure, for sure. <laughs> You're my kind of girl. <laughs> Hey, if I grow up to be like you, I will take it. I will take oh, it. you're going to be better than me, Priscilla. Both you and Sydney are going to be better than me. <laughs> okay, so now moving on to like right after college. So you're recruited to boost a few Fortune 500 companies. And then Austin Socialite started to take off, which is a one-stop shop for all entertainment around the Austin area. How did you go about creating that business after already being in the workplace for a few years, having different work experiences, and then deciding to actually put everything into a venture or startup? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good question. So, you know, um, you're right. I went off directly after college to boost a few Fortune 500 companies. Some mm -hmm. of them would be like um, Dell, um, Multiview, um, uh, the Richards Group. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I was in the sales and marketing space quite mm -hmm. a bit, the buying space quite a bit. Um, and I'm really grateful for those experiences. I got to get the corporate structure of what it mm -hmm. takes a business, which I find to be incredibly important for any entrepreneur um, to really be able to lean on the expertise and the, the systems that are in place with 
with corporate um, with corporate America. So I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, you know, it was competitive. You know, you have to. It's a grind. You have to work really, really hard to make a name for yourself in those spaces, especially with those larger companies made up of thousands of people. Um, it, it takes a lot for you to really get your name out there um, and and to show that you improve that you're the best. At, you know, mm -hmm. while being such a young person. Um, that really helped me to form the Austin Socialite. In fact, I formed it about a year after college. Um, a friend okay. of mine was moving to it from Atlanta mm -hmm. to get her um, to get her master's degree. And um, at the time, I was working in Dallas at the Richards Group, which is a, a marketing and media buying mm -hmm. um, company, advertising company. And she called me and was like, "Girl, I am in your city." I am so over 6th Street. I can't do it anymore. What else is there to do? You know, like there's got to be more to that than that for us. And I was like, actually, there really is more to do than that, you know? And I was like, you know, maybe I should start like an online blog that, you know, tells you like an event listing of all the things going on in Austin, who to know, where to go, what to do. And I started it just really, you know, with four of my friends. It was really a passion project a hobby, you know, mm -hmm. of, of which I had no intent of it becoming a business, a real yeah. business to any degree. Um, just a thing for people to be able to, you know, go to as a resource on what's mm -hmm. going on. Well, it blew up like the world trade so quickly. I mean, my goodness, you know, it was about urban events and, you know, people, you know, of marginalized communities and, and mm -hmm. what they were doing. And it didn't matter who you were, black, white, it, people gravitated to it, mm -hmm. you know, because of people, everybody loves hip hop, R&B, mm -hmm. reggae, Afro beats. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or how old you are. Everyone wanted to know what was going on in Austin. Mm -hmm. So many others had the same question, right? And this is well before, um, you know, Facebook events was created. It was well before Instagram. Mm -hmm. So there weren't really a lot of platforms. Eventbrite, there was no Eventbrite. Yeah. There weren't platforms that told you what was going on around town, specifically for the urban sect of the community. Mm -hmm. And so we blew up hugely. And before you knew it, you know, we were getting subscribers and mass numbers, um, you know, that were that were tuning in. We had unique visitors and mass numbers that were on our website. And, um, you know, because of that, so many promoters and club owners, um, you know, and event planners would reach out to us and say, hey, I'll pay you for mm -hmm. you to include me on your website and in your e-blast. And so we started saying, okay, this might be a business. And then, you know, after a while, some people will say, hey, can I, you know, pay you for your event planning services? So we started mm -hmm. doing our own events. And that was a new form of, of business for us. Mm -hmm. And then after a little while, the city of Austin reached out, which was wow. probably a game change, which, which was not probably, mm -hmm. was the game changer in our, in our business mm -hmm. uh, in our business model, they reached out because they were having, like they still are to some degree, an issue with retaining um, black people to the city. Um, mm -hmm. We were being known for one of the the, the uh, most sought after cities, mm -hmm. um, and you know we were we were winning in all the different areas, um, winning awards for these things, but. 
for Black people specifically, we were on the decline. And that was really the only area um, of which we were declining. And so the city yeah. of Austin came to us and said, what would it look like for us to pay you all to do some quality of life initiatives, some social impact initiatives and to bring the com community out mm -hmm. so that we look differently and we start to look more sexy to the, you know, to others um, so that they can come um, and stay in, or, you know, and even just come to Austin. Yeah. And so we said, yeah. So we started doing events like the Urban Health Expo, bringing out hundreds of people, um, the Black Business Expo, bringing out thousands of people, um, pitch competitions, like tech pitch mm. competitions, giving away tens of thousands of dollars to, to Black techies, you know, mm. uh, just trying to find different cool ways to engage the community. Um, and since then, the city of Austin has been a partner in the work that we're doing. And it's really set me on a trajectory toward, you know, some of the work that I'm doing with the Black Leaders Collective and the Black Fund, too. Yeah. So I'm uh, really, really proud of that. That's kind of how I started my venture. And, and it set me on the path to true entrepreneurship at full time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's incredible. And I know you definitely have great recommendations from all of this. <laughs> so what would be like your one or two most favorite things to do in Austin that everybody has to do when they come? One or two most favorite things. I'll say number one is food, food, food. Mm -hmm. I, am, I love good food of all different kinds. So I'm constantly on the quest constantly on the hunt for all the newest, coolest restaurants, mm -hmm. food trucks, you know, caterers. I, I love to do that. There are so many that pop up. I mm -hmm. have so many that are my favorites, old time favorites, but yeah. I love um, delving into the brand new spots and checking mm -hmm. out foods. Um, I'm a gourmet foodie as well. So <laughs> that to me is Austin in its prime. Um, mm -hmm is surely something that connects us all, right? Yeah. All the different cultures and things like that. So I really enjoy food tours um, and learning about new new places to go. I love Mount Bonnell. You know, my husband introduced okay. me to mm -hmm. that uh, earlier in our dating ages, many years ago. Um, and so I really enjoy hiking mm -hmm. up there. I haven't done it in a while since I, you know, in this condition. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but but I really, really enjoyed that. And it, it's, it was a, a, a sacred space for me and my husband because we got to go out there and see the beautiful homes on the lake. Mm -hmm. We got to be able to really just dream up what our life would look like, which has manifested to this day. We live in our mm -hmm. dream home here in Lakeway, drive our dream cars, you know, and a lot of that came from being able to just sit still and, and mm -hmm. see the city, you know, in its most highest potential. So I yeah. really love Mount Bonnell for that. Um, mm -hmm. It's just so beautiful and peaceful and green. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I love the lake. I love, mm -hmm. um, you know, I love all of the trails and the mm -hmm. green belts and the little, um, you know, the pools and things like that. Mm -hmm. Those are, you know, like Deep Eddy and Barton Springs. Yeah. That is true awesome to me. The park, mm -hmm. the park, I've grown up there on that little train. It's very nostalgic <laughs> yeah. to me to, you know, to be able to, you know, now take my daughter mm -hmm. to these spaces. I would say, you know, to, to every degree of the word, I am a true Austinite and love mm -hmm. everything that Austin um, is set, it currently has and has always um, been beautiful yeah. for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've laughed in 
exploring Austin. I've been here for two years and I have not gone to Mount Benel yet. Oh, you got time. <laughs> <laughs> I got time, but I mean, oh. I haven't You're even love it, Priscilla, for sure. Yeah. I definitely, I love looking at houses. And so just like looking at the lake with the beautiful houses, I'll do the exact same. Like I'll just be dreaming. Yeah, it is such an inspiration to be up there. Yeah, and just to say, if they did it down there, I can do it too. <laughs> now that you've been running the Austin social Socialite business um, for about a year, you began building out the Ian Kotech and you're CEO, COO of it now. Um, what was that process like switching from industry, basically? Yeah, yeah, very, very different. Well, one thing is I am a Gemini. I constantly have a million tabs open in my head. <laughs> you know, there are so many things, even to this day, I know, right? <laughs> um, even to this day, there are so many things that I want to explore and say that I was a part of and that I helped to create. So me being a creator has always been, you know, something that I've, I've you know, always rev reveled about and and, um, you know, and, and went toward. Um, but I'll say Ian Kotech is truly my husband's baby. And he allowed me the opportunity to help grow it alongside him, to help build it alongside him. We were um, in our early 20s. And I would see my husband, um, this is while I was, you know, we met through the Austin Socialite, actually. He's oh, a wow. web developer, uh, well, a, a software architect now, but at the time, <laughs> he was a, a web developer um, at YNN, which is an, uh, which was a sister branch of uh, Time Warner Cable, which is now Spectrum News, right? Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, technology wasn't really this big, big thing like it is today. It wasn't this big, sexy industry. You know, um, people didn't have 100 people in their departments for it specifically. It wasn't that back then, right? 10, 15 yeah. years ago. Um, and so at YNN, he was one of two people in that department. And I got to see my husband sitting at home making incredible um, applications and websites for the likes of HBO and the Obama campaign and mm -hmm. the Lakers and the Staples Center. And he was just creating these huge, um, these huge um, apps and, and websites. And I realized he wasn't making the money that equated to what he should be making, to, you know, mm -hmm. making. And, you know, we talked about like, what would it look like for us to cut out the middleman, which was essentially mm -hmm. Time Warner Cable bringing on these projects mm -hmm. and for, you know, for me to be the middle woman. Right. And so I came on to help him with the operation pieces, with the sales pieces, um, with the logistical pieces. And he would, you know, handle the back of the house, which was the creative work. And I'll tell you, girls, we struggled so bad our first year. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't eat another McDonald's burger. We were, like, grabbing for quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies out of the couch. There was one time when we you know, ran out of gas, you know, and didn't have any gas money. We were trying yeah. to keep it, the fact that we both left our jobs on the same day away from our parents, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend it necessarily <laughs> in, in that form. But again, whenever you keep stay diligent and consistent in something, mm -hmm. at some point, something will pop, right? And what happened is before the end of the year was up, we got a huge contract with USAA. 
And that changed the trajectory of our business. We realized now we had a sales model to follow. Um, mm-hmm. And we also had the credibility to back us up. And we've been able to um, create a multi-million dollar technology firm from that. Um, And whereas we are currently service providers to Mm -hmm. uh, enterprise companies, we are now in a space where we're about to start creating our own software and our own products. So really, again, always be ready to change, always be ready Mm -hmm. to work and and move, never stay, you know, stagnant, even when you feel comfortable. Um, And I'll say my husband is probably one of the most dynamic entrepreneurs I've ever known probably one of the hardest working men on this planet. Uh, you know, people look at me in the, you know, in the ether, and they're like, man, Tara, you got all this going on. But they don't realize, like, I am really just a byproduct of how, how hard my husband uh, moves and how well he takes care of me. And so I'm really, really grateful for our partnership. Has not been easy by any, you know, any, any, any miss of the word. And I'll say sometimes I miss those grind days too. Mm-hmm. And so also again, going back to just enjoying the journey, I really do miss the times where we got to dream and, you know, and, and, and the times where sometimes we didn't have it all um, and had to really lean on each other. Um, you know, things have changed a lot since then. And um, although I, I appreciate those things, Again, I, I can't, I cannot stress enough how you want to enjoy even the struggle because there's so much in, the, in those times as well. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Y'all have such a diverse portfolio. And so then fast forwarding again, now it's 2022, <laughs> height of COVID. And then you founded and launched the Black Leaders Collective that serves to advocate and amplify the Black community. And then you also had your first daughter around that time as well. So you're running multiple different companies, building a family. What was that process like to com- committing to building a whole new company and then evaluating if it was something that you wanted to take on in the midst of everything else? For sure, Sydney. So yeah, you're absolutely right. It was it's 2020. I had my daughter in February of 2020, and the world shut down as we knew it in mm-hmm. March of 2020 due to COVID. Um, in May of 2020, George Floyd is the slang of which mm-hmm. I call it of mm-hmm. George Floyd. And you know, although I've always been in a community service to one degree or another, mm-hmm. um, I knew that something different was happening something different within me. I was now a mother and, you know, and responsible for a little baby that was going to be raised in this environment where Mm -hmm. racism was very much still very real and raw. And so, um, you know, I've always, like I mentioned, been a community servant. I've helped to stand up some of the largest institutions that focus on advocacy work um, Mm -hmm. here in Austin. And I'm really proud of that. But uh, I knew that things had to change. There was a big protest that I was a part of uh, moving forward after George Floyd passed here in Austin. Um, Mm -hmm. Me and the organization, we brought out about 15,000 or more people in a peaceful protest. It was the most beautiful thing. But Mm -hmm. leading up to that protest, I noticed that black leaders in this community were were fighting and groveling around a subject that we should have all been on the same page about. And I knew that um, I needed to bring these leaders together 
quickly after after the um, the protest. So we mm-hmm. had this incredible protest. I'm sure you're aware of it, or maybe even mm-hmm. came. Yeah, it was beautiful, right? And then after the, in the debrief, I told those that I planned it with that we needed to sit down as leaders and talk about some of the issues that we were facing. Because we should never show up like that around an issue that we should all be on the same page about. Mm -hmm. So I brought about 40 leaders together about two weeks after that protest. These leaders were elected officials, Mm -hmm. business leaders, nonprofit leaders, boots on ground, or those from the hood of which I grew up from. You know, very dynamic, right? Uh, Immigrants, elders, youth. LGBTQIAA community, I tried mm-hmm. very, very hard to make sure that there was representation in every one of the sectors of which there is Blackness or just quality yeah. of life. Mm-hmm. And I brought them together to start, and I literally only thought it would be one or maybe two Zoom conversations, right? Like, mm-hmm. just thought we would talk about, hey, don't show up like that for your brother or sister. Mm-hmm. Call your brother or sister if you have an issue. Don't be on social media talking mess. We all look like fools when that's going on, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you don't have to support everything that's going on, but you also don't have to tear it down either, right? That is simply the message that I wanted to to send out. And before long, what came from that very first meeting was the need for more meetings to address what we call internalized racism. Mm-hmm. which means how racism has shown up within us as black people and therefore how it shows up in the community and how it shows up in our minds, our bodies, and our souls, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this has been a legacy piece. This has been something that since slavery, it has embodied our bodies and mm-hmm. therefore we fight each other because we don't know anything else, right? Yeah. Um, we don't know how to talk to each other because we don't know anything else. We don't know anything but to compete because we've only ever been given scraps, right? And so very early on, the Black men started calling for the need for us to continue to do therapy uh, as a collective around how internalized racism is addressed. And then on top of that, there was a call for us to put together our own plan on what seven generations of liberation looks like for Black people in Central Mm -hmm. Texas. So we start putting our own plan together, which has never been the case. There Mm -hmm. may be one organization or one individual that would bring their plan to the table. But one thing that I know about marginalized communities, that's women, that's black people, that's brown people. You can't just tell us what to do. We have Mm -hmm. to be at the table Mm -hmm. making making the play together in Mm -hmm. order to effectuate it. So for the first time ever, we brought even more leaders that, you know, now we're at about 200 at the time, you know, we started bringing even more leaders. There were mm-hmm. about a hundred leaders that came to the table to start talking about what the plan was for seven generational liberation around economic mm-hmm. and workforce development, health, education, housing, criminal justice, culture, arts, and entertainment. What did that look like from the black lens? We were no mm-hmm. longer allowing anyone else to dictate or decide what that looked like for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, therapy and then a collective agenda, right? Those are the two things that the Black Leaders Collective started moving very quickly on. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, we started doing therapy as a collective every quarter, and it was the hardest thing to sit through, to see leaders that really truly at high levels lead our community 
crying from the pits of their souls together, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, yelling and screaming at each other because there had been centrial grudges between individuals, mm -hmm. right? Getting it out of our system. And then at the end of that therapy session, saying how much we loved each other, like truly at the saying, I love you, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very odd sometimes for the black community to express. Um, has been a game changer. Now, two, three years later, I'm seeing organizations and individuals that would never cross paths, where mm -hmm. literally tearing each other down, collaborating with one another, talking to one another, supporting one another, right? And so there's a huge shift in how Black people are moving in this community, starting from our leaders and then passing through to their networks. And mm -hmm. then as far as the agenda is concerned, we literally started putting play by play together for every single thing that we wanted to see manifest. And so now mm -hmm. you see the results of that by way of like the Black Fund, which is giving out $2 million, you know, yearly, you know, mm -hmm. to, to Black nonprofits and community grassroots leaders or to a Black bank or to the Black Men's Health Clinic that is now open right there on Cameron Road um, there in Austin, Texas. There's a, a clinic focus on the the health and wellness of black men specifically and their you know and their very unique needs mm -hmm. um, and so you know that is a byproduct of the black leaders collective or the public health commission right we pushed the city of austin to pass a public health commission because there mm -hmm. never was one during the co during the pandemic or mm -hmm. during winter storm Uri. and so why is it that we have a libraries commission or a parks commission but we don't have a public health commission where yeah, people yeah. from all different sects of health and wellness are talking about plans, um, you know, to eradicate pandemics or, you know, or, 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 or storms of, of, of the, those kinds. Now there's, now there's a public health commission and there's mm -hmm. so many other things that we've done and in big ways. And that speaks to the power of unity and organization mm -hmm. of a people. And so I'm really, really proud. We actually just this past weekend, did the state of black education. We were sponsored by Tesla. They picked up the whole bill. Um, and that has been about focusing our efforts around black children mm -hmm. and positive outcomes for them, right? Mm -hmm. And we had all kinds of elected officials and, and um, you know, stakeholders in education from all over central Texas get to hear from black parents, black teachers, black students, about what they needed versus people telling them what, you know, on, on the reverse, what they were going to do. So mm -hmm. it has been a, the joy of my life to push the Black Leaders Collective forward. And, mm -hmm. the, and the guiding star in that organization has been my daughter, because I mm -hmm. want her to look up when she's of conscionable age and see a very different Austin of what yeah, she yeah. represented in. I want her to say, I too belong here. You know, mm -hmm. and I am very proud of the change of which the city has, has been made. And so she is the reason why I, I did the Black Leaders Collective. I want her to see something different when, when, when she's able to understand what's going on. Yeah. And I love, I love seeing um, that passion within you. And because I think it's important, especially for any like entrepreneur that you have to have that passion to create your business and make it 
what you want it to look like in the future. And so you definitely portray how much passion you have for that and the reasoning behind it as well that pushes it forward and pushes um, you to make sure that there's representation in Austin and for any um, person of color as well. That is so true. And I thank you for seeing that in me. Um, I, I do believe that anyone that's an entrepreneur, any successful business, does have to have a heart for a community as well. Yeah. I do mm -hmm. believe that the best entrepreneurs, business people, and, and businesses does have a thread for a community as well. And I'm grateful to be a part of that, that, that um, progress. Yeah. yeah, definitely the community piece, but also you can see how, yes, things are centered on profit, but it's also just that social sure. return on investment and like the exactly. impact that you're making at the root of all of these businesses. It is that social impact. And I love that. Bingo, Sydney. I couldn't have said it better. You're absolutely right. <laughs> well, um, fast forward two years. I feel like we're doing this amazing timeline of you. <laughs> but I mean, there's so many things to talk about. So in 2022, you became the co-owner of the Austin Woman magazine. And if any listeners don't know, the Austin Woman magazine is a magazine that inspires, celebrates, and supports supports the diverse community of women in Austin um, and its surrounding cities. So what was this company like always a dream of yours to work in or did it kind of just happen? Uh, it was not on my bingo card at all, Priscilla. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, I did not see this one coming at all. I am a planner to the T and this mm -hmm. one certainly fell from the sky and right into my lap to some degree. So in 2018, I was honored at the Austin Women Awards as the Social Impact Awardee. That happened in 2018. Um, I was really grateful that they were able to see the work that I've done and mm -hmm. to recognize me in that way. It was, you know, it blew my mind um, by the recognition. It also blew up my businesses and my, my brand mm -hmm. quite a bit too. So many people that didn't know about me were now on my radar and things like that. So I was really grateful for that. Um, but what also came of that, um, of that award was a relationship with the owner, Melinda Garvey. Mm -hmm. um, her and I got to become close very quickly. I realized that just as much of a fan of hers uh, that I was, she was also a fan of me. And she started leaning on me because she definitely, you know, as a white woman in this space, recognized her privilege to whatever, you know, degree and wanted to be a part of solutions. Mm -hmm. um, she loves all women all women. It doesn't matter what the color of the skin is. She loves brilliance of women. She mm -hmm. truly does represent that. And, and therefore it's effectuated in the brand. Mm -hmm. um, and so she, you know, started talking about how she could be a part of change. She would lean on me for like diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations on who to know in the black and brown community, things like that. You know, we started having really, you know, deep conversations, deep ties around diversity. And then in 2021, um, her and I were at a leadership conference together. And after the conference, we decided to go to the pool. And she started talking about how she wanted to do, you know, some new and different things, uh, but was still so tied to the business that she was thinking about selling it to a California company. And I was like, ew, no, like, don't do that. Like, you know, so I started telling her, what would it look like? You know, you've been on this journey around diversity, equity, and inclusion. What would it look like instead for you to think about bringing in women of different backgrounds, be mm -hmm. it 
Asian American, Indian American, you know, Black American, you know, all you know, all of these different uh, Hispanic American. What would it look like, or Latinx, you know, what would it look like for you to, you know, consider women to be your co-owners in that mm -hmm. space? And, you know, and maybe instead of you selling it to this California company, giving each woman that, you know, represents at a high level that demographic a little piece to share. Mm -hmm. And therefore, mm -hmm. the brand will grow because they will help to, you know, to uh, open the door yeah. and pave the way for the demographic of which they represent. And she mm -hmm. was like, Terry, that is brilliant. I love that so mm -hmm. much. That is so good. And so, you know, Melinda as she is, she'll take that idea and she will raise you one. Mm -hmm. And literally maybe two months later, I was on a call with, you know, 10 other dynamic women mm -hmm. of, you know, that are brilliant, sharp, you know, that have done bigger and better things than even me. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I, I truly am the little fish, you know, the little shark in the pond mm -hmm. uh, compared to these women. And um, they were all so different. She was very conscious and intentional about them being of different backgrounds. And so, you know, um, and, and different demographics and, and, and also different industries. Mm -hmm. And um, we all came on. We said yes. And before you knew it, in 2022, we were launching ourselves as the new co-owners of Austin Woman Magazine. And that has been the ride of my life. Uh, you know, I am a woman's woman. I'm a girl's yeah. girl. Um, mm -hmm. I am always lifting my sisters forward, no matter of color. I am always proud when I see my sisters winning. And, um, you know, to be a part of this, you know, where I've never seen a publication do anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, has been incredibly game changing. It has helped lift the bar for so many publications here in Austin on mm -hmm. what it means to really represent diversity. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also lifted us, right? We've had to look at ourselves differently. I've learned so much um, and, and our profitability is growing because of it as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it has been incredible. Um, and I'm really, really proud. So, no, I never thought that I would uh, be a co-owner of Boston <laughs> Women Magazine, but grateful that Mel Melinda, you know, listens and appreciates my advice, took it, ran with it, and also came back to ask me to own it. It has been, um, it has been a privilege of a lifetime for sure. I love that. I love Austin Women Magazine. I'm going to be in this September edition for like the women to watch. Yeah. I have like my little photo shoot and everything. So I'm obsessed. I love it. That is so good. Yeah. I'm not in the, you know, in the day to days. I'm more of like the board level as owner. So I don't know some of the things. So I read the magazine like anyone else. I can't wait to see the September issue and to big you up on it. I'm really excited for you. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm obsessed. And so with everything that we've gone through today, kind of like our last big question, and then we'll go into rapid fire, just like right yeah. off the bat, but the last one. So how do you balance all of this, the personal, the professional life and to stay motivated in all of these different areas to keep impacting others? Sydney. Okay. So, you know, I get this question and I had to come to term with the fact that there is no real thing. There's no mm -hmm. such thing as balance. I've yeah. just come to term. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see my life kind of like as a juggler and I'm constantly okay. juggling things. 
And those mm -hmm. that are up in the air, high, doing well, I don't necessarily have to worry about those so much. Yeah. Those that where the ball is kind of coming lower to the ground, I focus my efforts there mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more. Yeah. So it's a little bit, I'm doing equity in my businesses, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you focus on those that are, you know, need you more, um, yeah. which is what equity is. You focus on that first. Um, mm -hmm. I, so I'm focusing on the businesses or my family or myself mm -hmm. as I need it more. Um, and so, you know, that is for sure who I am as a juggler. You know, mm -hmm. I let those at the top, the things that are doing well, let them run. And mm -hmm. those are the things that need more of my attention. I focus my efforts there first. I'm also a huge proponent of self-care, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I start to feel a little burnt out, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or even when I don't, I will schedule time for myself. Like I mentioned, I'm a girly girl. So mm -hmm. if it's shopping, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a more of a frugal shopper, but <laughs> my husband, I can appreciate it, but he teases me about it. Um, you know, but you know, I, if it's shopping, I'll do that. If it's getting mm -hmm. my hair done, yeah. you know, if it's massages, if it's, you know, just taking time to sleep, I love some sleep, girl. <laughs> so, you know, whatever that looks like, I am going to do it. I will stop in the middle of production if I need to take time for myself. I mm -hmm. cannot pour from an empty cup, you yeah. know. And so for me, I have to be at, um, at, at, at capacity. I have to be full in order to pour over into others. Mm -hmm. And so I really take the time that I need. Um, in order to be able to to move at, at a higher level, at mm -hmm. a higher rate. Um, and, and that means sometimes slowing down mm -hmm. or bowing out or saying no. So, you know, for me, self-care comes first. It's me mm -hmm. first, everyone else next. I mean, you think about when you get on the plane, they tell you, you put your mask on, mm -hmm. then you can help whomever is next to you, even if it's yeah. your child, right? Yeah. And so I, I take that mentality into everything that I do. I've got to have the oxygen mm -hmm. in order to give it to anybody else. So that mm -hmm. is also the thing. And then lastly, I'll say is my team. I would be mm -hmm. nothing or nowhere without my team. I have mm -hmm. one of the most dynamic, most amazing executive assistants um, that I could ever have. That girl mm -hmm. is in my corner. Mm -hmm. um, Janae, sh shout out to Janae Hardy. Mm -hmm. She is in my corner. She rides and dies for me. I mean, I think about like even this weekend, how, you know, just little things like she would make me sit down when I'm like running around. She had my water mm -hmm. on cue. She made sure that I ate, you know, had my mm -hmm. food laid out, just really making sure that I am well, um, mm -hmm. you know, on top of making sure that the businesses are well, you know, I, you know, I think about the, the those that are a part of our tech firm, or our salon, I'm really around the best. Those that mm -hmm. love their craft, that are ambitious, um, and that also have an appreciation for me and a mm -hmm. respect for the business. And so I have a knack for creating um, invested teams, right? Mm -hmm. That that see the business um, just the way that I do. And mm -hmm. I don't, you know, take too much time for those that 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 take more than they give, right? And so. Yeah. Um, building strong teams and being around people that really care for you uh, is all are also ways to make sure that you're running at, at steam too. Mm -hmm. So those I would say are the three ways. I'm a juggler. There's no such thing as balance. I don't see balance as anything. Um, mm -hmm. I, I take care of, of myself and I, I build strong teams of people mm -hmm. that are ambitious 
and um, and love what they do. That that's how I keep things going for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. Okay, so now we're gonna go to the rapid fire question or the segment to the podcast. Um, and these are just like fun and quick questions, just to say the first thing that pops up into your mind. So first okay. question is something no one would expect about you. Someone nothing something no one would expect. Okay, well, I'll say people constantly see me as this strong figure um that's like ironclad, and mm-hmm. I am sensitive. <laughs> I cry, I feel really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm an empath, I'm a sucker for people and their challenges and their problems, um, which is why so many people call on me. But yeah, as hard as the armor seems, mm-hmm. it's as soft as I am on the inside. So, you know, I'm trying very hard to like display that more through vulnerability mm-hmm. and through, you know, real conversations and letting people in on the real me, which is a big teddy bear, which is a big softy. I love to cuddle. Mm-hmm. You know, I love um, I love love. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying very hard. Uh, to to show that more versus this big boss woman that you know <laughs> kicking up on systems. I yeah. really, really, really am a softie, and I don't think too many people get to see that side of me. So I'm I'm looking, I'm looking to change that narrative a mm-hmm. little bit. That's <laughs> really is who I am to the core. <laughs> Love that. Okay, what is your morning routine? My morning routine. Okay, so I'm up at about seven. Okay. Uh, maybe seven thirty. I again, I like my sleep, mm-hmm. so I am not the one. I've tried the five a.m., the six a.m. <laughs> not that girl. I'm just not gonna act like I am. Um, so about seven seven thirty, I'll get up. I usually am praying. I'll take some time to read my Bible, um, mm-hmm. and then um, it's it's go time. My daughter, I have to get her ready for school. I really enjoy my mornings with her. We get to mm-hmm. talk and you know eat breakfast together. Um, I get her dress. She's a girly girl, too. So we get to, like, fight on what she's going to wear, what <laughs> she's going to wear. And then we're off to school. Um, I get her to school at about 830. Um, she's still in, um, like, a child development school. So mm-hmm. we have the time. Like, she doesn't have to be there at 745. Yeah. Yet. Thank goodness. Uh, when, when the early morning comes, I'm going to be like, ah. Oh. But uh, yeah. right now, <laughs> we get to, like, really take our time. We get to school. Once she's in school, um, I get back home and it is off to the races for work. Um, I usually start my day with my executive assistants, kind of like looking over what is to do, what are priorities, um, mm-hmm. what what meetings I have. We kind of go over that schedule um, and then it's straight into the work day. Okay, next question. The most important lesson that you've learned in life? The most important lesson that I've learned in life is that everything is temporary. So if you think you're doing well today, just wait a little bit. Things will change. If you think you're doing bad today, wait a little bit. Everything will change. You know, everything is temporary. Everyone is temporary. Things change more all the time. You've got to give flexibility for people to change. I'm sure you've seen changes in friends and families, mm-hmm. seen changes in yourself. That is what life is all about. Everything is temporary. And so as long as you acknowledge and you're okay with that, mm-hmm. you're not married or, you know, or, or, or to those things. You don't grieve as hard when things change because you can expect it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you remain agile in how you move through life, which makes life so much easier. 
I love that. Just embracing all of it. Embrace it. Embrace <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. For okay. Sure. So we are on the Founding Fearless podcast, and we want to know what Founding Fearless means to you. Founding Fearless. I absolutely love the name. I adore <laughs> it so very much. It is so strong, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so beautiful. For me, Founding Fearless means that you are an innovator, you are a visionary, mm-hmm. and that you have the foresight and the ambition, the aptitude to move things forward, no matter what anyone else thinks, no matter who tries to discourage you, no matter what is going on around, you fearlessly mm-hmm. move forward yeah. with the things that God has uh, implemented in you to pursue, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes people don't see your vision, and it's not for them to see. They didn't get the vision you did. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the time people allow people to deter them of their dreams. And it can mm-hmm. even be your parents sometimes or those yeah. closest to you because they don't they weren't supposed to see it. That was for yeah. you. Right. And so for me, founding fearless means that you go out and you do what you were out here in the world meant to create, no mm-hmm. matter what anyone thinks, says or does to get in your way. You fearlessly overcome every objective and you fearlessly go for whatever it is that you want in life. And that—that that is why I love the name so much because it resonates with me. I see that in you both. Um, and I see that in so many women that are mm-hmm. part of my life. And so, yeah. yeah, I'm founding fearless and I'm proud of that. And <laughs> yes. I love the name so very much. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be our new hashtag. Like I'm founding fearless. And I I'm am founding fearless. Unapologetically. That is right. That's a good, that's a good hashtag. <laughs> awesome. Well, how do um, you have such inspirational like story and just advice in general? Um, how do listeners get in touch with you or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, always open to learning and, and meeting new people. So please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Um, you can go to my website. That's probably the easiest way to find my phone number my email address and some of my social media contacts. So I'll start there. Uh, you can go to www.tipswithterry.com. T-I-P-S with W-I-T-H, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y.com. Um, that has all of my contact information. If Instagram is easier for you, please let's link up there. It's um, at Terry P. Mitchell. Um, and so I would love to follow you back. Um, and, and to be, you know, and to DM with you and all the good things. Um, but I, I find, I try to be as open, um, you know, as possible, keep my door as open as possible to meeting new people. Again, that's the only real way to move forward. Business is relational and Mm -hmm. so am I. So please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to learn from you and and to teach you whatever it is that you're looking for as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. This has been an amazing hour talking to you and about your story. Um, I can't wait to see what more that you do. (laughs) Plenty more. Um, Yeah. So I can't wait to see that. Um, Yeah. And thank you so much again. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Priscilla and Sydney. Keep pushing us forward, ladies. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I'll be talking to y'all soon. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe and follow to the Founding Fearless podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to like, rate, and leave us a review. Founding Fearless. Founding Fearless.